words and language. No matter what anybody tells you, words and ideas can change the world. Now, see that look in Mr. Pitt's eye, like 19th century literature, has nothing to do with going to business school or medical school, right? Maybe. Huddle up! A quote from Whitman. Oh, me. Oh, life of the questions of these recurring, of the endless trains of the faithless, of cities filled with the foolish. What good amid these, oh, me, oh, life? Answer, that you are here, that life exists and identity, that the powerful play goes on and you may contribute a verse. What will your verse be? Robert, thank you so much for returning to our program. It's good to have you back on board again. And I'm really excited to get into this topic. Part one kind of dealt with the first two Fs, firm and fair, and classroom management techniques. And we're going to get into the fascinating facilitator, more instructional part of your book. How do you define fascinating and why is it important and why do I need to show it in my classroom? Well, this is the fun part, Brian. This is the passion part of it all that is so important. So I really equally value four important facets to teaching and to meeting students' needs, which are the social, the emotional, the soulful. A lot of people don't talk about the soulful element. And then, of course, the academic needs. And all of those are intertwined and really inextricably linked. So talking about the fascinating, that really soulful part of teaching, it's not just about mere entertainment. It's more about bringing a sense of empowerment to your students. And let me just go over some things that bring about empowerment. So tapping into your students' curiosity is so important. Really maintaining and creating a sense of wonder and curiosity in your class is such a wonderful thing to do. Then, of course, incorporating choice into your assignments. Now, it doesn't have to be a free-for-all. It doesn't have to be free reign. Sometimes it's an either-or choice, but even that is empowering to a student, or you can give them menus of choices so that they feel some kind of autonomy and ownership in their learning. Along with that, empowerment is creativity. When you let students be creative, it really just awakens their passion and their purpose and their drive. And I'm seeing more and more that parents are really responding to this and looking for this in schools and classrooms, that their students and their children have some kind of self-expression and creativity. And then the fourth part of empowerment is when they are building something, constructing things. And that's all about that project-based learning or problem-based learning where the students are working on something or they're creating something new or they're solving a problem. It really enhances that fascinating, empowering part of their education. So give me some details into what really is empowerment. How is that displayed in my classroom? With empowerment is treating your students like experts. If you want your students to have a voice, then you've really got to value what they say. 
going along with that, you've got to empower them. You get the confidence going with the fairness and the encouragement and the acceptance, but if they don't have the skills and the wisdom and the knowledge to back it up, they're not going to be articulate. So treating your students like experts really, really engages them. Putting out controversial topics, and controversial doesn't have to mean something that is going to get you in trouble as a teacher, but things that really spark your students' interest so they really are able to take a stand on something and present their opinions, giving students chances to critique things. And I like to use the word critique rather than criticize because criticize has a negative connotation. When they critique something, they're definitely pointing out the positives and they're also pointing out the negatives or things that they disagree with or things that they think should be changed. Giving your students chance to comment, so giving their opinions and their points of view, and not abstractly, not wantonly, but training them to add commentary and opinions and insights and ideas backed by evidence, usually textual evidence, but backed by evidence and examples or at least some kind of explanation so that it's all couched in very academic scholarly terms, and that's where you get the link between fascination and facilitation. It's much more content-based and me transforming that content, which comes from the standards, and really making it so that kids are engaged and interested and empowered. Because when you do that, that engagement very soon turns to commitment and investment. And that's really when you've got the kids, when they're deeply interested, when they're asking you questions after class, where you hear them talking to their classmates in the hall about school, and when they are researching and finding things out on their own. It's just so beautiful to see that finally they get, you know, some scholarship and that you've kind of led them to a path where they have a much more deeper knowledge and enriching and expanding their knowledge base instead of just keeping them in the familiar. The familiar is a great place to go to and return to and maybe start, but you constantly want to be pushing the boundaries and constantly wanting to broaden students' horizons. All right, Robert, I can hear some teachers in my audience saying, you know what, it's hard for me to convey that within myself that fascination with my instruction because I'm not really inspired within. I'm micromanaged. I don't feel supported and I'm just going through the motions. Robert, what can you say to that teacher who's struggling with those issues? This is important, Brian, and I'm so glad you brought this up because this is why teachers burn out and it just can't happen. You've got to go back to that passion place, the place that really drove you to become a teacher because it came from a very pure place. It came from a very empathetic and compassionate place. You never want to lose that. Now, there's a lot of things that, you know, we have to fill in the boxes and do certain things and follow certain lines and guidelines, and that's understandable. We're professionals, but there is so much room for passion and excitement and true enthusiasm, and passion is powerful, Brian. Charisma is contagious. Meaning is magnetic. Kids will respond to it. Now, your passions might not become their passions, but they will respond to it. I'm no big football fan, but to watch a 
a USC football game with my dad is a masterclass in passion. You can't help but be transfixed at, at what's going on. And that's the kind of passion you need to bring into your classroom. In the book, you mentioned that the fascinating teacher does not copy but creates. What do you mean by that? It's about going beyond and really bringing yourself as an expert, because you are, you're a content expert. So bringing that and bringing your personal passions and insights and experiences into the standards content. Kids will respond to it. Kids like to hear your own stories and kids will pick up on your enthusiasm. So being creative, it might sound like something, oh gosh, now you're piling more onto me, Robert. You know, I have to teach these standards and engage the kids and now you want me to tweak them so that they're creative and original. Uh, yes, I do, because once you do that, you're back in the passion game. You're back being a driven teacher, and your students will respond to it. Passion and engagement is no panacea, because I truly believe that the four Fs are equal. But an engaged classroom, an enthusiastic classroom, is going to be a classroom where your firmness can kind of back up because the kids are managing themselves. They're into it. And your encouragement is there feeding into their fascination, and you're backing all of it up with just plain old good teaching. I think most teachers would agree that in order to be truly effective, we have to have that passion and enthusiasm that makes us fascinating instructors. So, Robert, let's talk about the fourth F, the facilitator. I've been really trying to hone this. So what's the main difference between regular teacher and what I call a facilitator? With a facilitator, instructional input is balanced by an equal exchange of student-generated ideas, insights, and opinions. I am not saying that the teacher completely backs off and doesn't teach and doesn't instruct and there isn't direct instruction. Absolutely, kids need to learn. It's balanced by an equal exchange of ideas that come from the students. So it's much more interactive. It's much more engaging, and it's just a much more fun and fulfilling way to teach. Great teachers need to take their students beyond what they already know, what they already believe, what they already can do, and what they already think that they're interested in. We want to, as I was saying, push the boundaries and expand students' horizons. We don't have to convince them right away. At first, they might think, oh, gosh, I, this has nothing to do with me. Why are you talking about sharecropping in the 1930s and the Great Depression? I don't understand this at all. It can be made engaging. And once you take them beyond the surface, beyond, you take them below the surface so that they explore and discover new insights and connections to what they had previously known or believed. It's really important to go deep with facilitation. Deep, profound teaching is what a facilitator does, and it really keys into that fascinating part. And beyond taking students beyond and below the surface, then you bring them back inward to reflect on their prior assumptions and to think critically about what they've read or been told. We want the students to think critically, and once they have a base of knowledge, they can really do that in a very articulate, informed way. And that's going to conclude our interview with Mr. Robert Ward. I hope you will support him and check out his resources. Thanks for listening.